How many of you uh, this last Sunday were able to watch AD? You chose to watch AD, all right? Great, fair number, all right. How many of you fell asleep last night between, uh, last Sunday between 9 and, 11, and 10? Okay, all right. Okay, I did. I got up at 5 last Sunday morning, so I was tired, so I fell asleep before the resurrection. Yeah. Here's the great news, though. Uh, you can watch that on the NBC website, right? So I watched it Tuesday, and I got the full-blown deal. So you don't have to worry about falling asleep. I do encourage you, follow that series uh, Sunday nights at 9 for the next 10 or 11 weeks. Invite your friends into that. Have discussions about that. I think, uh, I think it's going to be well worth it. I want to... Um, so we're, we're starting a series in Acts. At least it says a 12-week study through the book of Acts. But... I personally am stuck on Jesus right now. So we're just, we're going to get there. I promise we'll get to Acts next week, but I'm stuck on Jesus for this week. I'm stuck on this place where Jesus uh, reveals himself to Thomas. And Thomas makes this declaration of the lordship, the deity of Christ. And so I want to look through some of the, that scripture again this morning, and I'm going to pose some questions I'm going to pose them in the first person, and we're going to actually take some time in the midst of the message to listen to God for ourselves, to let God speak to us, because I think um, he's got things to say to us individually. So let me read from John chapter 20. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it or any way to capture the Bible, your own scroll perhaps, pull that out right now. I'm going to read uh, John chapter 20. This is God's word to us, preserved by the Holy Spirit. Bless you. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, Here's Thomas's first declaration, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We, for the most part, fall into that category of those who have not seen, with our natural eyes, have not seen the risen Lord, with our natural eyes, and yet believe. And so there's a blessing for us. There's, a, there's a, a grace of God upon us as those who have not seen with our natural eyes and yet believed. And I want to look through this story of Thomas and pull out a few things and ask a few questions this morning. So Thomas says to the disciples, I need to see the nail marks. I've got to, I've got to get this palpably, right? Why did Thomas need this so much? I said last week, sometimes we slam Thomas because he's the doubter, right? But remember, the other disciples got to see Jesus. Sometimes we forget that part. It's not like all the other disciples, you know, they just believed right away. The only one we have record of is John, 
who, remember, I talked about last week, when he saw the tomb empty, he's like, we're golden. Jesus is risen. I'm in. But Peter, oh, Peter, the rock, man of great faith, goes, I wonder what this means. So Thomas is, you know, pretty much with everyone else. And Thomas is there. All the disciples say, we've seen him. And Thomas says, that's not going to work for me. What do you think? I'm foolish? I think what Thomas is saying, I'm trying to creep into his heart here, is he's saying, you know, you're not going to make a fool out of me. I want Jesus to be alive. That would be so cool. But I'm not going to go after something that's not true and real. Does you resonate with that? I do. I resonate with God. I want you. I want all. I want your kingdom. I want signs, wonders, miracles. I want power. I want resurrection from the dead. But I don't want anything fake. Like, I'm not in this just to believe for the sake of belief. I'm in this because I want to believe that Jesus, it's real. And that what I'm investing my life in, I'm putting a lot of words into Thomas's mouth, what I'm investing my life in is worth it because people are dying out there for this faith. And Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for his desire and his need to see the risen Christ. So a week later, his disciples are in the house and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, 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 we be with you. <laughs> he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. That is God's word to us in the vineyard here this morning. In some way, in some shape, in some form, that's God's word to you this morning. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas wants to see the hands in the side. When Thomas is speaking that to the disciples, Jesus is not present. True? It says Jesus was not in the room. And yet when Jesus appears in the room unbeknownst to Thomas, boom, Jesus is there. What does Jesus do? Gives Thomas exactly what he asked for. This kind of hit me this week. I had missed it all along, that this is an unbelievable answer to Thomas's prayer. And it has impact on us as prayers, right? This is what it says to me. Even when the presence of Jesus is undiscernible by us, he hears our prayers. How often is that reality, that the presence of Jesus is not discernible to us? Have you ever been through a day or a week or a season or a decade where your prayers went up and it seemed like they bounced off the ceiling and cracked you in the head? You couldn't discern the presence of God? This is good news for us, that though his presence isn't always discernible, he hears our prayers. And he doesn't condemn Thomas to ask for confirmation of faith. And so he comes right into the room and he gives Thomas exactly what he needs. Thomas, look here, right here, and right here. Put your hand right here in my side. And then Thomas makes his big proclamation about the deity and the power of Jesus. So I want to ask uh, this question. I know that we can trust that God can deal with our questions when what we long for is the truth. Thomas was longing for the truth. Thomas wasn't doubting for doubt's sake. Thomas said, I want it to be true. 
And this is my question. Am I truly searching for truth right now as pertains to Jesus? Or am I just afraid to trust? So this is a question I want you to put to yourself and to God. We're going to take a few seconds in silence. God is not afraid of our pure heart to know and desire truth. The question is, are we searching for truth? Or are we just afraid to trust? I don't want you to hear condemnation here. I want you to hear uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and pointing out those places where you're seriously looking for truth so you can ask Jesus for truth. And maybe those places where the reality is we know the truth, but we're afraid to trust. So let's take a moment and pray silently. Holy Spirit, you're present. Now we ask in the name of Jesus, reveal our hearts. Father, thank you for speaking. Thank you for guiding us and for affirming our desire for truth for understanding that and for pointing out those places where we have it, but we're just afraid to trust. We ask for grace to trust. In Jesus' name, amen. I put it like that, that there are times when we're honestly searching for truth and times when we're afraid to trust because though the scripture seems clear that God can handle our honesty, he could handle Thomas's need and desire to see but the scripture is also clear that Deuteronomy 6, Matthew chapter 4, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So uh, it's, a, it's a friendly warning to each and every one of us. Are, is there a place in your life where you know it and you just say, God, I know you said it, I know it's real, but I just want another sign, right? We've done it. Okay, yes, it's true, but just one more time. And what we're really saying to God is, I'm afraid to trust what I know. And the scripture says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. In Thomas's case, he was not yet to the Lord my God place, right? Thomas is just about to utter the words, my Lord and my God. He hasn't done it yet. And so I urge you this week, you look for opportunities where God has given you a word to obey it, to walk it out. That's called belief. <clears throat> So John 20, 26, and 27, this is where Jesus closes the deal, okay? He's like laid the, if you're a businessman, you know, he's laid the wares out on the table. Here I am, hands and feet, side, everything. And this is where Jesus closes the deal. He says, put your finger here. Reach out and touch my side. I've given you exactly what you asked for. It's like Jesus is saying to Thomas, I heard your cry. I saw your heart. I saw your genuine desire for truth. Here it is. Now that you've gotten what you asked for, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus gives a two-part command. Stop doubting and believe. I think because Jesus understands that uh, you cannot believe until you have stopped doubting. There are two parts to that. Sometimes we think doubt is passive, right? Like, oh, I'm just not convinced yet. feels very passive. But Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. It's like if you're going 60 miles an hour in the wrong direction. You can't just go in the other direction without stopping going in the wrong direction, right? 
there's some time. You have to apply the brakes and do whatever you do in your power slide, right? To come to the point where you have stopped going the wrong direction so you can start going the other. And Jesus says, stop doubting. Stop your action of doubting, Thomas. Stop actively putting things in the way of belief. Vineyard Community Church and belief. Doubt is active, it's not passive. It's, uh, this uh, definition of doubt came to me, so I'm testing it on you, but I'll read it. This is how it came to me. Doubt is not just the absence of faith. It's a willful decision to fill in the gaps of our experience with data that supports unbelief. Doubt is not just the absence of faith. It's the willful decision to fill in the gaps of our experience with data that supports unbelief. Doubt isn't just like, well, it hasn't happened for me yet. Doubt is when we say, okay, here's my experience. Here's what God said is true. I don't know how to get from here to here. What am I going to put in this gap? Doubt means I actively put data in here that lets me stay where I am. Okay, I'll just, you know, I know that God said this. I know that God said uh, sleeping with my girlfriend before marriage is not right. But, you know, that's a hard one for me. I'm not feeling that one. So I just got to put something in the, you know, there are 32 reasons why that's probably not what he meant. And we continue to doubt. It's active instead of believing. Doubt is almost always accompanied by man-centered thinking and action. Man-centered thinking and action. So when you know that God has said something to you in the scripture, in your life, you know what's right, and you're not doing it, you're actively not doing it, you're, you're putting uh, you know, your own extra data in that space between the word of God and your obedience. When we do that, it's always some sort of man-centered thinking. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, what would people think? Right? I mean, you ever hear that in your own... Well, what would people think? It'll look weird. I want to believe, but man, if I live like I believe what I say I believe, it's going to get awkward. And you can see this in the scripture. Thomas, right here. You know, there's no... The, the tomb's empty. And Thomas goes, you're trying to make a fool out of me. What do you think, I'm stupid? Man-centered thinking. You, this is about you and me. This isn't about Jesus. You're trying to make me look dumb. You're trying, me to ask, you're trying to ask me to put my life on the line for something that I haven't seen and therefore don't know is true. Mary Magdalene. I mean, she wanted to believe. She definitely wanted to believe, right? The tomb's empty and she gets there and she wants to believe that Jesus is risen, but what comes into her head? They took his body. It's man-centered thinking. Okay, he said he was going to rise. Now his body's not there. The tomb's empty. They took his body. We've got to go find, even when she sees Jesus. Remember that? She thinks he's the gardener and says, where'd you put the body? Because doubt is active. You see it in Peter, the water walker, right? Remember Peter walked on the water? That must have been cool, right? Power of God. I'm walking on water. No one else, none of the disciples got to do that. And Peter gets to the tomb. Another uh, gospel tells us, Peter gets to the tomb. John sees empty tombs like, Yahoo! I knew, it was gonna, I knew Jesus was going to rise. And Peter goes, what happened? 
Peter the water walker, who heard Jesus say, you know, the Son of Man has to be given up and then die and rise from the dead. He goes, I don't know what happened. His doubt's active. He's trying to figure out what could possibly have happened because I can't imagine that this is true. Uh, Back to the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's the one at 90 years old. God says, hey, you're going to have a child, right? Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. You're going to have a child. In fact, your your children are going to be like the, the, the stars in the sky or the sand by the sea. And Sarah hears that and she laughs. Ha! Something like that. It's a Hebrew laugh. She's like, no, no way. She hears the word of God. She knows that the angel of the Lord is speaking and she chooses to put some other data there. This cannot be. What's she thinking? I don't know. Something like, I know that women after menopause cannot have babies. So clearly, God, you are mistaken because it's not working over here. We see it all through the scripture. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Believing is active too. It's not passive. It's not just a change of the mind, right? Believing is not just, it's not Thomas going, okay, I got to see, Jesus comes in, here's the hand, here's the side. Thomas goes, hmm, interesting. There's an excellent chance that I was wrong in my assessment. And I would like to reconsider. In fact, I'm pretty darn sure that, in fact, Jesus is alive. It's not just a mental thing. That's not belief. Belief is always action. And the action that Thomas takes, my Lord and my God. Thomas follows the blasphemy of Jesus. That's his action. Jesus was crucified for claiming to be God. And when Thomas sees Jesus alive, he goes, that's it, my Lord and my God. True belief takes action on revealed truth. True belief takes action on what's been revealed to be true. So let's take a minute and ask, in God's presence... Is there anything in my life where I say that I believe, but I've not acted upon it? Is there any, what do I say I believe that I've not yet acted upon? And let's just be quiet before God and let him speak. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts now. And we want to know, is there any place in our lives where we have stated belief and yet not acted on that revealed truth. We long to know. We long for integrity. Amen. So Thomas sees Jesus is revealed. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Right there in John 20 is, I think, where Thomas actually comes to faith in Christ. To this point, all the evidence shows that Thomas is a follower Thomas is a disciple. It means he's a learner. He's 
He's walking behind Jesus, but he's not yet come to this point of faith. And all of a sudden, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He expresses his belief in the resurrection. And not only that, but in the deepest meaning of the resurrection, the revelation of who Jesus is, God himself, the deity of Christ. So Thomas right here declares the central tenet of our faith. The central fact, the Lord is risen. He's alive. The central tenet, what we build our lives upon, the source of our power, Jesus is Lord. That's what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. What Thomas is saying is, now that I've seen it, now that I know you, now that I know that it's true and you're the son of the living God, the Messiah, everything belongs to you. That's what Thomas is saying. No one else has said that yet. Thomas blurts out this incredible confession that becomes the the hallmark of the Christian faith for the next 2,000 years to this day. Jesus is Lord. Let's see uh, what it looks like for Thomas to have this encounter with Jesus. You won't believe the journey I've made to get back. I was convinced I was being followed. Then I became confused and couldn't remember which was the right street or the right house. It was only when I saw... What? Jesus. I know. No. Thomas. He was here. What? Jesus was just here, in this room. He broke bread with us. Are you playing a sick joke on me because I'm the last to get back? No. So Jesus was here with you all? Yes. What kind of fool do you take me for that I would believe a story like that without proof? What kind of opinion must you have of me to believe I'd be so easily duped? Thomas. It's the truth. Enough! I haven't slept for two nights. I've barely eaten. It was all I could do to come back at home. Thomas, stop this now! Go to the tomb and see for yourself. See with your own eyes. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in them. Unless I put my hand in the spear wound itself, I will not believe. You think he's dead? And this is finished? What else? The truth. Mary. Go to the tomb. Temple guards are resealing the tomb. Why would they do that? To pretend his body remains inside. Kill any rumors that he's risen. Now do you believe, Thomas? We saw him. Each one of us touched him, sat with him, ate with him, laughed with him, but I did not. How can each of us be mistaken in exactly the same way, at exactly the same time? 
Thomas. you have seen for yourself, you believe. <laughs> Blessed are they who have not seen me and still believe. <laughs> take a moment in prayer there and um, in the presence of God ask the Lord to search you is there any place in my life where I have not yet been able to say Jesus is Lord is there anything that I've held back let's pray Holy Spirit come again and show us, is there any place in my life where I have not yet been able to say, Jesus is Lord? Amen. If you remember the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the proclamation of this reality that Thomas is seeing for himself. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So Thomas affirms the deity of Jesus. And Jesus affirms the proclamation of Thomas's faith. You believe and then just says, blessed are those who don't see and still believe. God's word to us, stop doubting and believe. But the harder question is, what does it look like today for us to believe? What, what does it look like in our lives? It means that we act as if what we say is true is true. It has complete impact on our lives. It means when we raise the scripture that has a command and the opportunity in our life comes up where we can obey or disobey that command, we walk in integrity, which means what we believe is what we do. That is much easier to say than it is to walk out. <clears throat> I don't know that it's harder now in this culture than it was back then, but I just know it's hard. I just know that there are a thousand excuses for disobedience. And the question is, is Jesus Lord? We live in accordance with what we say is true. Do you know you can speak to your doubting soul? Did you know that? You can speak to your doubting soul. I won't go into a whole talk about the soul, but I understand the soul to be the mind, the will, and emotions. It's like the central part of us, the part that connects God's spirit to this tangible world. It's like the CEO, like the, the central place where we get to make decisions about how the other world impacts this world mind, will, and emotions. 
So we actually can speak. God's given us authority to speak to our own souls. Hey, soul, stop doubting and believe. Hey, hey soul, stop doubting and believe. The psalmist does this over and over. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. David speaks to his own soul. Why, hey, what are you bumming out for? Put your hope in God. We can speak to our own soul. On Saturday morning, I don't know why. Well, I know why, but I won't say it. I was down because <laughs> I'm a moody person. I was down Saturday morning, early in the morning. Praise God, I opened the, I have a habit of reading the scriptures every day, and I opened to the psalm appointed for the day. It was Psalm 116. And I read through Psalm 116 and cried for a while. God spoke to me so much through it. The one verse in there that really got me was, it said something like this in the translation that I read. Be at rest once again, O my soul. Be at rest once again, O my soul. It's like God's word to me. Hey, Randy, I've taken you through all these things, the piddly stuff that you're dealing with right now. Okay, it doesn't feel piddly, right? It feels real. I'm not, I'm not demeaning anyone's stuff, but when you consider that God has uh, saved you from hell, and will come back to eternally set all things at right and bring perfect justice for eternity, then the things that we deal with are small. And so the Lord said to me through the scripture, hey, remember, you can speak to your soul. Be at peace once more, O my soul. We have that power to speak to our souls. You can tell your brain your spirit, your emotions, what to do. You don't have to be led around by your emotions or even led around by your thinking process. You can speak to your soul. I had a pastor friend tell me in, uh, in a difficult time of life, hey Randy, I've said this before, hey Randy, don't forget in the darkness what God said in the light. It's so instructive for me. I use it, I think it all the time, because when the time of darkness comes, and some of you feel that right now, it's really hard to believe what you thought was so certain in that time that God seemed to be everywhere in your life. And all of a sudden, it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And my encouragement, don't forget in the dark time what God said in the light. The fact that you can perceive it or not perceive it has no bearing on its reality. That's called faith. I mean, God shows it to us. He shows us what it looks like in the natural order, right? How many of you thought spring, there is no possible way spring would ever come this year, right? It's a perfect groundhog quote, I know. This winter will never be done. But you feel that way because you, you walked out into your yard. It's March the 21st. Everything indicates spring, but you're standing in snow and you're shivering. That's a problem right? And so if you go at that point by what appears to be true, rather than faith in the promise, which is more real than what we see, we would go to despair. Spring's never coming. Spring has come for the last 6,000 years, but it's not coming this year. I don't know why. And so we can walk into despair instead of living in faith. I'm going to prepare my yard. I'm going to prune my roses. 
even though they look like death and I see no life and it's cold, I'm going to prune my roses because life is coming, right? Life is coming. And some of us are in that place in our lives right now where it would appear that this is an endless winter. It feels like endless winter. If you're not there, you know someone who is there. And what you need to hear this morning from God and what that friend of yours needs to hear from the Lord through you is, um, it's, uh, I wish I had it right in my head, it's the um, Song of Solomon 2 where it says, uh, the winter is past, the springtime has come. And that's a declaration of hope for us. When we look at the, prune, the, the rose bushes that seem dead and the snow on March 21st, our temptation is to despair, like winter's never going to end. But the, the word of the Lord today, stop doubting and believe. Act as if what you know to be true here, here is true. And just walk it out with these legs and with this body. Because certainly the spring will come. There's a fight these days for our faith. And I don't mean uh, the cultural wars and the religious laws and the left and the right. That's not what I'm talking about. I see that. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a fight for our faith. There's a militant spiritual battle against our personal obedient faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a battle. The enemy of our souls and this world does not want us to walk out our faith. And so we're tempted day by day, moment by moment, season by season to live in disobedience rather than obedience, to live in compromise rather than integrity. And God's encouragement, actually, it's a command. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I don't know what it looks like in your life. I don't know what that step of obedience is. I don't know what the temptation is in your life, but I can say with the authority of Jesus that he's here this morning and he's saying to you with a loving voice, with compassion in his heart, stop doubting and believe. Let's pray. God, we want to hear your word and we want it to sink deep into the roots of our soul. And we want it to blossom there and bring the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy. So give us ears to hear and faith to believe and courage to act. In Jesus' name, amen.